0: Hey everybody, welcome in to this week's episode of the Building Teams with Teams & Co. podcast. My name is Mike vagalis and we're so thrilled to have you riding with us this week like every week and just wanted to give you a quick update we're actually taking a break from the podcast season two has been just amazing it has exceeded our expectations in every way and we're just so grateful to have you riding with us from the listeners to the unbelievable podcast guests that we've had like i say it has just exceeded our expectations and i cannot wait to share with you some of the guests that we'll be having and the conversations that we're looking forward to for season three in the meantime we will be re-releasing some of our favorite podcasts that we've had from this past season and it has been a really difficult exercise selecting which episodes to relaunch because we've had so many tremendous conversations. That being said, we'd encourage you to check out the Teams & Co. channel on YouTube. Uh, we'll include a link for that in the show notes on this podcast. And while you're there, be sure to hit us with a subscribe, with a like, and to comment on the channel. We, we read those and we, we love seeing the response from this community. With that, I hope that you enjoy today's podcast. We'll see you soon. Make sure you stay tuned for our release date for season three.
1: Let's hear about the wonderful people that support this podcast.
0: Hey guys, got to tell you about a friend of the show, Michelle Trott and her accounting and consulting team. Are you spending more time managing your accounting than you are managing your team? Maybe it's time to bring on a professional to help you. Michelle's team of CPAs and certified fraud examiners specialize in contract accounting, outsourced CFO, and consulting services, giving you the time that you need to focus on operating your organization. Give Michelle a call today to schedule your free consultation at 828-280-2530. Again, that's 828-280-2530. You don't have to run your organization alone. Michelle Trotz is your partner in accounting.
1: Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.
2: Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co. Today, we're looking forward to having Brett Hampson, Senior Finance Manager in a Fortune 100 financial services company, join us to share a little bit more about his experience being a leader and also progressing through different leadership roles. So, Brett, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Of course. Thanks for having me, Tracy.
2: So, to get started, I think I gave a little bit of background to you as we were just chit-chatting before we got got started on the recording. But... um, you know, our listeners are really interested in how do they empower their teams? How do they give them the tools to be successful, deliver that strategy, but also create those memorable customer experiences? So before we kick off, would love to hear a little bit about your background, maybe some of the roles that you've taken on in your career, how you've, you know, kind of balanced these things throughout your career. Then we'll jump into the details, but I want to make sure everybody has a good idea of, of who you are and what your background is.
3: So I started with this same company that I've been with since I graduated from college. So I really started at that entry, sort of finance level, and kind of bounced around the company a little bit just to get a little bit of experience. I think that was really valuable too. Was actually sitting in different departments. I sat in accounting. I sat in finance. I sat in product and did roles for a whole year. And so I think there's a little wisdom in actually sitting there and having to do the job. It gives you the empathy that you need in order to kind of make those decisions later on. So from that. I really sort of jumped into sort of a senior finance analyst role and found myself actually looking around when I was in that role and seeing opportunities for leadership. And I think this is probably the first thing that I want to convey is if somebody's aspiring to be a leader or wants to look to become that level leader, I think there's plenty of opportunities out there. I think I was just at the right intersection of looking around and saying, man, I wish somebody would do this. And what I did was actually was encouraged by my leadership and my mentors that were in my company to actually step into that role and pick that work up and move it forward. It was probably the work that nobody wanted to pick up or nobody knew how to pick up. So I think when I look at my kind of success, and I'll kind of talk a little bit more about where I got to, but getting to that senior finance manager role was a lot of just me looking around and saying, hey, what's out there that I can help with? What can I do for other people that they don't know how to do? So I, yeah. I see that with people that are coming up the ladder well behind me. And I really try to encourage that. I say, look for the leadership vacuum. There's a spot in the company that's missing leadership. And if you just step into it, you will be very successful. And I think I've heard entrepreneurs say that as well as, you know, I was at the intersection of what the customer wanted and what technology could do. I think it's the same thing. There's just a vacuum of space that's missing. And if you're willing to step in and take that risk, And it's potentially a hard lift. It's not an easy lift every time. But if you can step in there, I think you can really actually make a change. And so I say that to say, my movement towards that senior finance manager role was just me doing that a lot was looking around and saying, what else can I take on that nobody else is able to do right now? And just kind of slowly amassing more and more responsibility. And then the title followed. And I think that's, that's probably the other piece of wisdom I'd plug in there is, don't look for the title, look for what you can do to help and your your title will typically follow that. And if it's not, then you're probably not in a healthy culture or you need to find something different. But by and large, the title will follow what you're actually doing. People will look around and see the value you're adding.
2: I think that's a great that's a great point. And when we speak about leadership and team dynamics a lot, I think people often think about, well, if I'm not the leader, how do I lead? And that's a great example of how do you as an individual contributor, take up that mantle, make a positive impact on the team. But you mentioned a lot of different things about what makes up a successful team. Are there particular things throughout your career that you've noticed as a leader or even as an individual contributor that the successful teams that you've been a part of share an attribute? Maybe it's collaboration or communication, but what are those kind of attributes that you think about when you think about a successful and empowered team?
3: Yeah. Even when I go back to my analyst days, so I'm going to speak from my finance lens because that's what I sort of grew up. That's the function I grew up in. So as an analyst building spreadsheets, building reports, building financial models, things like that, my success early on was partly due to the fact that I could turn around and talk to another analyst behind me and say, hey, could you look at this real quick? I don't know if I did this right. Could you check my calculation here? Could you look at this thing that I'm trying to model out? And him and I had this really tight relationship. And I, that's my answer to the question, is relationship. It's not something you can teach or learn. The most successful teams that I've personally been on or the way that I try to foster in other teams is building that relationship. Because I think as soon as people feel connected to one another and they're able to build that relationship with one another, what you get thrown in is things like communication. You get collaboration. You get helpfulness. You get ownership. You get creativity. So I think if you really focus on that relationship component of the team, yep. you get all of those other really good things that everybody's trying to teach thrown in with it. So it's almost, it's almost like when I look at it, I go find the path of least resistance, find that foundational skill, which is that relationship, hire for that, look for that, develop that, find ways to create an environment where a relationship just kind of blooms and fosters. And so I think in COVID now, it's even more difficult to do that. I'm finding myself having to be even more creative as somebody who really values that already.
2: Right. I'm even having
3: to stretch myself to try to figure out how to do that nowadays.
2: I think it's, I think that that's one of the things that we focus on as well, which is um, you hear often about uh, team building events and what we say is we actually build teams right so rather than you know a one day event where people do get to have a little bit of fun, how do you take that approach in the longer term of building those relationships, building those processes that shared experience that really helps benefit the team and, and helps them move faster over time and it, it sounds like that's what you're touching on in terms of what makes for an empowered team and what makes for a successful team?
3: Yeah, I even think success within a team or within a function, gets very nuanced, right? You can put six different really technical sound people together, going to build some good stuff for you. You're going to function well. But I think that good to great aspect is really where the relationship piece comes in. And so if somebody doesn't feel comfortable to open up to their coworker and say, hey, could you check this formula for me? Hey, could you help me out with this? Thing? I just need somebody to talk through this. And I've seen that. When people don't do that, their work suffers, their quality suffers, and it's just a haircut. But that haircut over time, spread across 5, 6, 10, 20 people, can get really detrimental to the organization. And so I think that's where the relationship piece comes in. It takes you from good to great. You can hire good, but to make them great is that relationship piece.
2: How do you foster that um, feedback loop? So it sounds like to me what you're really touching on is building feedback, building a way that folks can kind of innovate together and solution together. And as a leader, how do you foster that amongst your team? Are there particular ways that you try to build that safety for your team to be able to have those conversations?
3: Yeah, I I try. And this is where you've got to tread really lightly and be very careful with your words because you can think you're doing this well and you're not. And I've gotten this feedback before, too, from my team. I think it's really important that you invite feedback in. And I, I always do this. I always put myself back in the individual contributor shoes and say, was I comfortable to walk and just give them feedback? The answer is no, I, I wasn't until my manager invited me in so many times that I finally felt comfortable. That one day where I'm just having a tough day and he, he really just, he asked me to do all of this work and then didn't use it the next day. And that really frustrated me, but I would have never said it unless he said, hey, do you have any feedback for me as a leader? So I think that's the first thing is you need to invite feedback in. But if you're going to do that, you actually have to want it. Because what I've seen is leaders invite that feedback in, and then they hear the feedback and they go, well, you don't see the whole situation. You don't really get it. And in that moment, you've lost them completely. Right. And so as a leader, you've got to be extremely tactical and extremely careful with inviting feedback and then listening to it in a non-emotionally charged way. Even if you just scribble down the notes, walk away, take a deep breath and go, they were so wrong for six different reasons, you just you can't let them see that because you're going to shut off that feedback loop immediately. So I think this is one of those where I think the leader of the team, the actual manager, the supervisor, whatever you want to call it, the boss sets the tone for the team. And if the boss sets a consistent enough tone, the individual contributors will begin to pick that tone up on their own. You almost don't have to teach them to do that with one another. As long as they're comfortable doing it with you, they'll know that you're creating that culture. So I think that goes to culture creation, where as a leader, you've got to just set that tone and be really, really careful about asking for feedback and then not blowing up on it. And then the last piece I didn't even mention was then acting on it. If you don't do anything with it, it's like if you have a mentor or a mentee that comes to you and says, hey, Brett, I really want to advance in my career. What are three things I can do this week? And I go, okay, here's three things you can do. We check back in a month later. If they haven't done any one of those three, I no longer want to give them that feedback. It's just, it's a human thing. I think as a leader, you've got to be able to act on that. So you've got to grab that feedback, ask for it, but actually be ready for it more than anything else. You've just got to be aware that you are not perfect. You didn't do everything right. And maybe somebody misinterpreted something and that's okay.
2: I think it's really valuable advice, especially because we all, we all live in the real world, right? And it's easy, to, it's easy to come on a podcast and talk about these things. And uh, we often say that, right? These, this is hard work to do, and it takes time. And I, I think that approach really resonates with the way that we like to work with clients as well.
1: Becoming a first-time leader is tough. Fortunately, I found Teams Global. Teams Global equips me with the tools that I need to be a great first-time leader at a price I can actually afford. With Teams Global, I can be the leader that my team needs me to be. Teams Global has a special gift for you, the listeners of the Building Teams podcast. Use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0 when checking out for any Teams Global course for a 10% discount on your order. Sign up for a course today.
2: What do you do in the situations where, you know, it's the real world, right? There's there's going to be times where as a team, your team comes to you and says, we'd like to change X, Y, and Z. Maybe you can change X and Y, but you can't change Z just because there's constraints around it. How do you manage that as a leader in terms of setting expectations for definitely want to follow through on your feedback, definitely want you to feel like you've been heard, want to give you the resources you need, but also... Within the constraints of there are certain things we can and can't do. How do you balance those conversations to make sure your team is remaining engaged and understands maybe some of the nuances behind that?
3: When I think about decision making, there's probably three different ways to make decisions with a team. And I I picked this up at one point, and I think it's going to answer your question, and it, and it gives a really nuanced answer to your question. I think that's where we're getting to with some of this. Is it's easy to give the ten word answer, but that nuanced answer is actually usually the correct answer. So. Within teams, you can either democratize the decision. I can say, hey, team, here's your problem. Here's your constraints. Go figure this out. I think that's a lot of fun for teams. There's also times where you're going to delegate and you're going to say, hey, you are going to go help me figure this out. I'm actually just going to give you full authority to make this decision. Here's some of your constraints. Here's what you need to consider. But you go make the decision. Just CC me on the email when you're done. And then there's other times where you need to dictate where you actually hold the decision making authority. And you have to be in the decision because there's so many constraints or there's such a strange culture around it that you need to be knee deep in it. And so I think one of the things that I learned early on from doing it wrong was that I would ascribe the incorrect decision making type to the incorrect situation. So for example, maybe there's a senior leader that really wants to see the certain report and the the headers have to be blue and the font has to be 10 point and this cell has to be bolded. If I give that to an analyst and I say, hey, have creative freedom over this report, and I give them none of that context, they're set up to fail. So then what happens is they come back to me with the new report that actually looks better than what the senior leader wanted, but my constraints and my actual output doesn't match. What I've just done is I've just completely deflated the eight hours working on that report. And that's obviously a way oversimplified example. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in knowing what your constraints are and knowing who gets the final decision-making authority. And letting the team know that. And I think that's probably the last biggest piece that I'd plug in there is you've got to sit down with your team and say, look, I don't necessarily understand why this person wants it this way, but they asked for it this way. And hey, when you're the boss, you could ask for it that way too. So keep gunning. You'll get there one day. You'll be and and kind of making a joke out of it, but says like, look, this isn't worth fighting. This isn't worth us fighting on. And so let's just do it the way they want it. And that's good.
2: So, Brett, I think that that, I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of setting those expectations. I think that there's times when we all have certain things that we need to deliver in a very particular way. And it's nice to honor when people need things in a particular way, right? Because as leaders or as individual contributors, we also want our working style to be honored. So there's that nice give and take in your answer in terms of honoring the way that a leader may want something in particular, but also trying to find that balance with your team where, hey, if there's other opportunities where we can kind of, quote unquote, go off script, innovate a little bit more, we're going to take those opportunities as well. So it sounds like you do a really good job of, you know, setting those expectations for the team of, you know, when something needs to be, you know, kind of more on script, so to say, and maybe what is the process when somebody gives you that green light for, hey, deliver this in whatever way you think is best? How do you kind of balance that and, and have those conversations with your team?
3: Yeah, And I really try to cut through that noise. And I think the wisdom I'd give leaders too is if you're sensing that somebody wants something specifically and they haven't said it, then you need to drive that with that leader. If you're If you're working, if you've got a team of five people and you're going, okay, I'm going to do that task for you, senior leader. It sounds like you want something very specific. We need to sit down and actually frame that out. You and I need to sit down and make sure I know all the constraints because my team's going to go get really creative with it. If they don't hit it on the mark, that's now my fault as a leader not the team's fault for missing it. So I always try to put that responsibility where it belongs. And sometimes senior leaders are like, "Well, I just just surprise me. Should, you know, I don't know what you guys are capable of." And then I go, "Okay, that's great. But if if I deliver something you don't want, I can't go back and redo it." And just setting those boundaries and saying to protect my team, to protect their morale, I need to actually set that boundary and have that difficult conversation up front. And I think that's just also years of being a leader and and years of seeing that happen incorrectly where you know, you get that demand from the senior leader and then you go try to fulfill it in a creative way. It doesn't match up. And so you just got to grab those constraints up on the front end like this. So as a leader, we've got to really step in and say, is this one of those instances where you want me to do it exactly like you asked for? Or is this one of those instances where I can bring you something that you maybe didn't even know you wanted? Because, I'll, and I'll speak from the finance perspective, as a finance guy, sometimes I have seen things in the past that I've done that have worked really well, that that leader is not even aware that we can do from a technology standpoint. You know, People ask for what they know, but if they don't know your true expertise, that's where you step in as a leader and say, look, I hear what you're asking for. What if I gave you this other thing? And if they say, no, I don't want that other thing, then that's fine. That's that's an okay thing. They are a leader. They get to ask for that. I think being really transparent with your team about those instances is important too, because the last thing in the world you want to do is set your team off running in one direction and say, hey guys, you have creative license on this when the entire time the leader doesn't want that. Because then what's going to happen is the leader gets something they don't want usually later than they wanted it. And then you've completely dropped the ball on that deliverable and, and it's seen as a negative. So I think the way that I frame it for my team too is, hey team, if we're being asked to execute on something, be really good on that because that'll earn us the credibility to go do the creative stuff later on.
2: I think what I'm hearing is, I think, a really valuable uh, thing for a lot of our listeners who um, like you, maybe in finance or another role that has internal customers, right? What I'm hearing a lot of is how do you deliver that exceptional customer experience to an internal customer, and how do you set those expectations? And so it sounds like you have a really good methodology of, you know, creating those opportunities to wow your internal customers but only doing that once you've kind of delivered on the basics, right? You're not skimping on delivering, hey, this is what we do and this is what we do really well. But when we have those opportunities to create those memorable experiences, we're also going to do that as well if we can. So, I mean, how do you kind of balance that internal customer? It sounds like most of your customers are kind of that internal, but obviously the, the organization that you work for also has external customers. So how do you you know, kind of communicate with your team around your level of service to internal customers, external customers. What does that look like in your role? What does that look like as you're aligning your team on, hey, here's our here's our strategy, here's our goals. And here's how the customer experience plays into that. What does that look like for a, a team that may have more internal deliverables than, than external per se?
3: Yep. That's a great question. And I think it's one that at a large company, I think you mentioned, I work at a Fortune 100 company. At a large company like that, there's layers upon layers that and, and d- different support functions you could be call it like it feels like a mile away from the customer. It feels like you are so far removed from what's happening on the day to day that you could lose sight on what does the customer actually want like what what are we actually doing here because I'm doing a job and i'm I'm doing really good work but at the end of the day, what value am I that's what leaders really i mean I personally spend time I sit there and I go okay, what am I doing? What value do I add to this organization? What value do I add to the customer? And if I am having trouble drawing that line, I need to go talk to somebody that's gonna help me draw that line. But I need to be able to draw that line for my team. So something that I do in finance is I say, okay, if I help this organization run a little bit more lean or I help us control our costs or I help maximize what assets we have, Then what happens is the customer gets a better value item at a lower price. Well, that's customer experience right there. Like Price is a huge driver for customers. It's a huge competitive advantage. It allows us to invest more in whatever technology we might have. So that's where I help the team go, okay, if we get things done well and right and fast, we're actually driving value for the customer. You might not be able to trace that one for $1 through the system, but it's there. (laughs) And so... It's a little bit looser, and you've got to be a little bit creative with it. But I think at the same time, if you completely stay disconnected with it, that's where I start to see teams get kind of lost. And, and they start to march in one direction when the entire organization's marching in a completely different direction.
2: Yeah, um, I imagine it also helps you and your team stay close to the mission of the organization, right? There's that brand kind of maybe it's not brand loyalty but that brand kind of connection that you feel when you're like hey i am part of a bigger organization that's providing this exceptional service to customers it becomes a reinforcing proposition to the team of, of why do we want to come in every day and deliver results
3: right and i i think it's something that if i'm throwing 10 pieces of work at a at a single analyst i want them to be able to look at those 10 and say this one's the most important because the customer will actually value it the most And, and I can't have my team doing that unless they know what the customer values the most through my lens. And I think honestly, a lot of times we just get so busy. We don't pause to do this sort of reflection. And it really does only take about an hour out of your, if you do it once a quarter, once a month, it doesn't take that long as a support function, but I think it's really important to do that. And I, as a leader, see, you know, I'm just in more conversations than my team. So I can pass along some extra wisdom in that space. Now, I try to teach them to do that reflection on their own. But at the end of the day, I think as a leader, as a senior manager, it's my responsibility to, once a quarter, pause, have a team meeting, and say, look, guys, remember, this is what we're trying to do. Remember, this is this is what guiding light is. Like, we might have lost our way a little bit over the last few months, but let's refocus, recenter, and keep moving in the direction we need to move. So I think, honestly, if one of those pieces of wisdom is have a – quarterly team meeting, and spend about an hour talking about company strategy, team strategy, and how it plays into your day-to-day.
2: Brett, that's an amazing lead-in, so I appreciate that. Uh, Because I was about to ask you, obviously, a lot of organizations right now, given uh, 2020 has been uh, an ever-changing landscape, they're shifting their strategy, they're changing their approach. That takes a toll on teams, right? Change can be difficult. It's not always the easiest thing to kind of change directions or keep your direction in an environment that's changing around you very rapidly. So, how do you, as a leader, manage that change with your teams and and kind of keep them focused and keep them on you know mission and on purpose, even if there's you know so many so many changes around us?
3: Yeah, it, I think even twenty twenty for my team was. An even more difficult year because I had people joining my team and and most of the team is new now. So not only are we working remote, not only are we going through this global pandemic, but I have got people switching jobs and it's all healthy, which is great. But that is just another layer of change. So how do you cut through that? I think each situation calls for a different style of how to cut through that. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned is in times of heavy change, you've got to be over prescriptive. And so if somebody has been in their role for 20 years, and the company's really not growing, not doing anything new, innovative, anything like that, you could honestly probably leave that person to their own devices for a year at a time. And they would actually probably get some really good work done. But if you've got brand new employees on a team that's shifting in a culture that's shifting, they need some help cutting through that noise and saying, okay, I I heard all those to-dos, but what are we actually trying to get done over three months or whatever? So. I personally like to work on a three-month schedule. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll do quarterly meetings. So I'm actually scheduling my next quarterly meeting for right when we get back in the office in the new year. I'm going to let everybody kind of enjoy their time, not have to think about vision or strategy or anything like that. And I'm using the next two weeks at the end of this year, at the end of 2020 to say, okay, what are the things we accomplished in 2020? Let's celebrate those. What are we doing early in 2021? And I'm not even going to think second half of 2021. I'm just going to think first half. I'm even just going to think first quarter, honestly, and say, what do we need to accomplish in first quarter 2021 to set us up for second quarter 2021 and third quarter and fourth quarter and really chunking it down to major deliverables? And what I'll come up with is two or three or four major deliverables and put them on a piece of paper and assign people's names to them. So I get that prescriptive where I say, you are doing number one you are doing priority number two, and you are doing priority number three. And I think in a different year, if we're in the office and we've been functioning as a team for a couple of years in a row, I wouldn't necessarily do that. I would just put out these bold visions and statements and say, hey, attach yourself to whichever one you want. Let's move them all forward as a team. Right. But I need to be very prescriptive right now because I've got new people on my team who would sit there and go, I'm still trying to learn my job. I don't know where I fit in this. I don't know how you operate as a leader. So I think in over ambiguity, I over-index on clarification and cutting through the noise, and and lining people up to
2: specifics. I think that's a great approach. We we often speak about um, as a leader, and I think you mentioned this previously. You're in a lot of meetings, right? We hear things often as leaders that maybe our team isn't hearing, and so that extra effort to continuously communicate that in different avenues can be really valuable to them because they're not hearing it six times a day in all of the meetings that potentially leadership is sitting in. So. I think it's a, it's a really great approach in terms of keeping people informed, especially as things are changing so quickly.
3: It's something I try to do too, is I'll I'll cut through the noise a little bit. And even if I don't have the answer, I try to let the team in on that. I try I'd be very careful in this because you can overwhelm somebody. But I say, look, I've heard this three times now in different meetings. I don't know what to do with it yet, but I want to put it on your radar because this might be coming our way in a little bit. I don't know. Again, I don't know what it looks like, but... If you guys have a little bit of capacity, get your wheels turning on this one. I think it's coming. So, That's awesome. so it's only, yeah, it's almost like how how do you how do you take all the stuff you're hearing, put it in certain buckets and then let your team digest it in those buckets because they're just doing so much more work and they they just need somebody to cut through that noise a little bit.
2: It also sounds like you earn your earn your team's trust then, because then if something does kind of come out of, you know, the proverbial left field and you're surprised and you have to tell your team last minute, they know by and large, most of the time you're keeping them up to date and like, yes, this was just a surprise, right? So yep, it yep. makes those everyday scrambles maybe just like an every once in a while scramble, which helps everybody stay in that cadence a little bit more, which is which is great.
3: Right. right. And you yeah. earn – yeah, to your point, you earn that respect. And 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 I think the other side of that too is saying, hey, guys, I heard this three times in a meeting. I didn't think it was important. I missed this one. This one's on me, but I need some help. Right. And hopefully you're doing that far less than you're doing the other one. And and that's you know that's just performance right there. But I think you've got to be willing and able to say that. Like, hey, team, sorry. It's been sitting in my inbox for two days. I didn't think it was important. Apparently it's really important. <laughs> and this one's on me. How can I help on this one?
2: I think that that kind of level of transparency is also valuable because we're all human, right? So right. being able to admit when, hey, we might've missed the ball on this one. It's valuable for your team to hear because again, it gives that permission to them to say, Okay, you know, there's going to be times I also miss something because I'm human. It creates that level of trust and transparency in a team to say we're not perfect, but we're going to get there together. And the only way to get there together is to actually lean on each other. So a good lesson there for everybody, hopefully. (laughs) You've mentioned a couple of team members have joined your team. And I'll ask one more kind of more kind of timely time sensitive question, which is I'm sure other leaders now are uh, managing the fact that they've had team members joining their team they may be virtual, so things like in person onboarding, kind of building those team relationships aren't happening the way that they would typically happen if we were all in the office together. So, how, as a leader, have you managed you know adding a team member to your team when everybody's virtual? How have you kind of gone about that quote unquote onboarding process, introducing them to people, getting them to know their goals what does that what does that look like for you right now
3: It's a lot of time on. Teams meetings. So we use Microsoft Teams. It's just me having my Microsoft Teams open all day long. I think there's there's certain things that if you think back to your own onboarding or past, you can identify things that you liked, things that worked well. And you just have to sit there and think, how can I replicate that? And the answer is not always there. The answer sometimes is you actually can't replicate that. Like How can I replicate the fact that when I have a question, I just turn around and ask somebody? You can't. Uh, people have tried, and I've heard some creative solutions like somebody, somebody does office hours where for two hours of a day on Friday, they just have a, a meeting open and it's running and anybody can join it if they want. And they just pop in, ask a question. But that takes a lot more effort than just spinning around and asking a question. So there's ways you can eliminate that barrier, but there's there's no way that where you can actually throw that barrier away. And so I think you've got to be really cautious of those things that you cannot replicate or you cannot completely eliminate. And what you need to do is then over-index on something that would make up for it. So if my team doesn't feel comfortable asking questions because they're, they feel like they're bothering one another or they're bothering me or, you know, it just, you know, if I chat him, he might be in a meeting. He might be doing something important, you know, whereas in the past, if you popped your head up, you could see if they were doing something important or if they were in a meeting or if they were busy. And so right, yeah. if my team's hesitating and I, I just need to know that I need to know that it's going to be harder for them. So then what I need to do as a leader is be able to check in and say, "Hey, how's everything going? Hey, where's that, you know, you want to talk through that thing?" Not in a open-ended, "Hey, do you need help with something?" But, "Hey, was just thinking about that project I gave you. I know I didn't give you a lot of context. Did you want to chat about where it's at, just bounce some ideas off of me?" And just be be open, go overextend yourself. And something I do and have done and I think has been really successful is in my morning huddles that we do every once in a while now, you know, at nine o'clock, I'll say, Hey team, here's my calendar. I even share my calendar with them. And I say, here's my calendar. I actually blocked off from two to four for you guys. So if anybody needs it, let me know. And a lot of times what I'll get is, Oh yeah. Can I get that time for you? Or Hey, let's chat. I want to chat about this. I go, great. You can either put it on my calendar or just chat me at two o'clock and I'm ready to go. So I think you just got to, you've got to find where the gaps are, where you know the you know, kind of the environment we're living in doesn't isn't suited for that collaboration that you really want and then over index in ways to fix it knowing that some of it's temporary some of it's going to be semi permanent probably but i think us getting better at this is is an investment that's worth our time
2: and it sounds like you're you're taking a really proactive approach, right? Not just sitting and waiting for your team to message you or say at the next team meeting, hey, this wasn't working, right? Like it sounds like you're trying to kind of test things out, you know, offer up different times and, and kind of iterate uh, as a leader in terms of trying to find those places where maybe it's more helpful for your team. So that's like a – it sounds like it's an ongoing – uh Maybe experiment isn't the right word, but an ongoing iteration for you in terms of how do you improve access when maybe that's not the easiest thing to do right now?
3: Right. Right. The thing that I've learned too is you need to know your people. So I work in finance. Typically, we are introverts. Typically, we don't ask for help. Typically, we just like to work on our own. And so I know as a finance leader and somebody who's grown up in finance that my team won't necessarily reach out at the level that somebody, let's say somebody in marketing or sales, if I'm going to pick on them, they might be more extroverted. And, and that leader is going to have a different challenge in this virtual environment where my challenge is to get my people to reach out. And I just I just know that because I know them, I've asked them, and I I, I just stay really hyper-focused on their work quality too where it goes, that that mistake could have been avoided. And I think... That's something that my team hears me say a lot is, how could we have avoided this? Not, how did you do this? It's not them that made the, the issue. And that's where I go back to working in pairs or working in teams or bouncing ideas off of one another. We'll eliminate most of our mistakes if we do that. But if I'm seeing a lot of mistakes, typically, it's not because my team isn't great at what they do. It's because they didn't vet it with somebody else. They were too busy or they were too afraid to reach out or they felt like they were going to bother somebody by saying, like, hey, does this look reasonable and and most more often than not, somebody would say, No, that doesn't look reasonable. Check this calc, <laughs> check that calc. And it, it's just, you know, how do we how do we actually create that environment of vulnerability and ability to be wrong without having somebody point a finger at you and say, Hey, you keep messing up on this kind of stuff. I think that's where you get in really yeah. dangerous territory.
2: Well, it sounds like you're taking the time to know your team as well, which is really valuable, right? Not making the assumption that, hey, everybody's the same or everybody should adjust to my style as the leader. But it sounds like you're taking the steps to adjust to their styles and say, OK, you know, if my team needs more support here or there, I'm going to try to make that move versus expecting them to move towards me. Um but I would agree on the pair working or kind of on trying to collaboration. You just, you get a different perspective all the time. And that's what I uh, love about working in teams and why it's the focus of our organization is it's just impossible as one person to see all the different perspectives or see potential potholes or see all the opportunities, right? Like there's, there's so many different ways to look at things. And so having, having another person or a few people kind of collaborate tends to open up those doors that maybe maybe we wouldn't have noticed if we were working by ourselves.
3: Right. And I think when I learned this, it was, and I, I love learning from just random examples in life that aren't necessarily from business books <laughs> or, you know, some structured class. But I remember taking a tour of a company and what happened was they were showing that, you know, we made a pit stop in the developer space where the app developers were working and the the senior manager over that, area was saying, hey, we work in this partner coding development environment. And I'm like, partner coding? What do you mean? And he's talking about how these these developers sit side by side. One person works while one person sits there and watches them and helps them <laughs> and troubleshoots. And I'm sitting there going, that is the most inefficient thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And as a finance guy, I go, you are wasting. Like Half of this room is not working at any given time and the other half is. From a finance perspective, if I'm if I'm picturing my cost-benefit analysis, I'm picturing something that looks wildly profitable. But really, what they've learned through this, and this is where I picked it up, was they've learned that it's actually more profitable. It's it's right. it creates better work products faster by having two different people working on one project but only one person's hands on the keyboard at any given time. And I think right. when I heard that, it really shattered my kind of my worldview, and I said, look, I'm not going to do this in finance because I just don't think it's right for finance. But can I take this principle and start to apply it in finance? Can I encourage my team to spend a little bit of their day actually asking one another for help? It is so counterintuitive that you would get more done that way. But I think you do. You get more done faster. You make less mistakes. Those mistakes cause you to repeat things. So slowing down, asking for help. I think we are just relational beings at the core of our being. As humans, So I think we need to actually acknowledge that and live into that. And that's where, you know, the whole idea of teams comes into play, right? If if we could be successful in building an organization with one person, fine. But I think a lot of people struggle with that. People have strengths and weaknesses, we need one another. So that's where I've sort of picked up that piece of wisdom. And I think it's just gold. And it's sort of stuck with me for all these years, too.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great I think it's a great approach in terms of testing things out, right? Like that that person in that team might have, you know, tried that with their development team for a few weeks or a month and said, "Hey, this isn't actually helping." And then they try something else. But in this case, they found a win and it's working for the organization and it's working for the team. So I think being open to those kinds of conversations where we're going to try something new to your point, maybe this won't exactly fit our team, but maybe right, we get right. something else out of that learning that we build on to say Oh, it didn't work like that, but it does work like this. And mm-hmm. that becomes a really exciting an exciting conversation for the team because it also builds their their openness to saying, Hey, I saw this thing. Can we try this out? Right. And it yep, if yep. they see you willing to try things and willing to test things, it becomes more of a dialogue and the innovation kind of builds on itself, which is nice. Yep. Well, Brett, I I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I, I think this has been this has been really wonderful and I want to be cognizant of your time. I appreciate you you taking the time and uh, getting up with us early this morning to to talk about teams and talk about your experiences. Is there anything we we haven't covered that you'd love to leave our our audience with uh, as a as a closing note?
3: I think the biggest thing that I want to leave people with is that I think there's there's really two different ways to think about leadership one is traditional wisdom one is hierarchical one is a lack of communication one is a lack of vulnerability and transparency there's another that i think is less tested more effective and and you see it popping up you see it in this podcast you see it it's a it's a way of leadership that's a little more i'll call it wide open as leaders we live a little bit more wide open we say hey look i'm going to make mistakes as a leader my job is to cut through that and try to work work as hard as I can to make sure that we're as effective as humanly possible. And I think in some ways, too, it says, hey, as a leader, I'm going to bring a certain unique value to you, and I'm going to serve you. And I think at the end of the day, that's probably the thing that I want to leave everybody with is this new wave of leadership doesn't look at leadership as like a throne you sit on, but it's more of a way to serve the people that are around you and, and serve your team and help make them more effective. So that's, that's kind of how I view leadership on a day-to-day basis goes, how can I serve my team? How can I cut through the noise? How can I cut through the ambiguity? How can I try something new that's going to be better for them, better for us as a team? How can I make their resumes look really good at the end of the day and not be afraid that they're going to go leave the company, but almost be afraid that they're going to not, not want to leave my team because that's what I've seen in the past too is people say, "Hey, wherever you go, I want to follow you." And I go, "That's amazing. I love that feedback, but I need you to leave for your own development at some point." So I think, I think for those leaders that are sort of on the fence or maybe living in a traditional culture, you can still live in that traditional world, traditional culture, but lead in a very new, unique way in a very sort of modern way is what I'll say. And you can clearly see where my bias is towards, but I really think it's been successful for me. And I think a leader that leads with empathy is one that's gonna be really successful in the next 10, 20 years. So investing that time, listening to podcasts like this, you know, doing some of that research, kind of seeing different new views in the world, I think is a really, really powerful thing. I'd say never stop learning, stop serving is what I want
2: anyway with. But that's amazing. And, and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I'm sure our audience will will love this interview and will be uh, furiously taking notes on the tips that you're sharing. So we welcome you back anytime. But in the meantime, we hope you have a, an, an, awesome, uh, an awesome day and uh, look forward to hearing how your journey progresses. So thanks again.
3: Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, everybody.
1: You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co., To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and
2: Facebook.